Good afternoon, church. Please remain standing for the reading of God's word. This is from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The word of God for the people of God. Hey, Amen. You may be seated. Well, good afternoon. My name is Marco, and I serve as the preaching pastor here at Storehouse McAllen. In the event that you just walked in and did not catch Eric, we're going to find ourselves in Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at verses 11 to 16. While you open or load your Bible, I just want to give you one quick update. If you visit our website today or anytime this week, there's going to be this big picture on our front banner, and it says Equip Survey. Right now, we're doing a church-wide survey on two things. We're looking for feedback on class times and days, along with content. If you're unaware, we love to produce content for you to give away. We have in-house writers uh, and individuals who help us write devotionals and discipleship guides all so that you would grow as a disciple of Jesus as you continue to study his word. And so I would just encourage you to visit that website or visit our website and fill out that survey. It's like a three to five minute survey. It just gives us some quick feedback so that we can continue to serve you or serve you better in the areas of class uh, time schedules and, and content. With all that being said, let's dig into our time. Let me just start off with a question. How would you describe a healthy church? You see, for some, I think a healthy church would be described as one who has all of the programs readily available uh, to consume with minimal amount of contribution. Maybe that's you. Others would describe a healthy church as a building that looks like a church, pastors who dress in a certain way, and hold services according to their flavor, and as long as they're left alone. Well, let me just begin by opening up. Welcome to Storehouse McAllen. We don't have any programs, and we don't even have our own church building. And yet, this is not the mark of a healthy and mature church. This afternoon, we're in the third week of our series, The Church, Who We Are. This series is on our core values. We began with gospel centrality. We believe that the message of the gospel is central to who we are and what we do. We believe that the message of the gospel is not simply, uh, it is not something new, but a fresh reminder of what is true. Last week, we looked at our second value, and that is biblical community. See, we believe that personal transformation is the fruit of community. Today, we're going to look at equipping the saints. And so as we consider our passage in Ephesians 4, I want you to be mindful of the language used here by the Apostle Paul. And I want you to see where he references buildings and programs. Spoiler alert, he doesn't. And it's not that those things are bad. We, love, we would love and long, actually, to have our own church building. Programs are very helpful in many ways. But the mark of a healthy church is that it is to be equipped for maturity through truth and love. The mark of a healthy church is that it is to be equipped for maturity through truth and love. So let me pray, and then we'll dig into this text together. God, we begin by coming to you and praising and thanking you for uh, for the gathering, for allowing us to worship you through song. And God, now we turn and continue to worship you through the word preached. And so to that effect, would you give us wisdom this afternoon so that we would walk in a manner worthy of our calling? Would you give us grace so that we would remember what is true? Would you give us conviction 
so that we would change and conform to the image of Christ. God, would you give us humility so we think of ourselves less? We love you and we praise you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, if you're unfamiliar to this little letter to the Ephesians, it consists of six chapters, and we're going to be looking at a small passage in the fourth chapter. For the first three chapters, the Apostle Paul has faithfully and pastorally labored in explaining to this church their calling salvifically. In other words, he has spent considerable time explaining to them who they are in Christ because of what Christ has done for them. I would encourage you later to go back and read Ephesians chapter 1. It's this beautiful summary of God's work through the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. It's this beautiful work of how the Trinity is at work in us to save us. And here in chapter 4, we turn our attention to application. So as Paul has unpacked who they are in Jesus, now he's beginning to unpack what it looks like uh, for the church to function. Paul wants them and us by the Spirit to know that they are to be a healthy church, or better, better yet, if they are to be a healthy church, they are to be an equipping church. My prayer for Storehouse is that we would be an equipping church, that this wouldn't just be a value that looks good on paper. I believe that we're growing in this area, and my desire is for us to continue to grow in this area. Nevertheless, Paul explains to the Ephesians what a healthy church looks like, and he regularly uses the analogy of a body in order to explain how every part of the body is actually working together to form this one unit in order to bring about health. And so here in verses 11 and 12, Paul begins by addressing spiritual gifts, church leadership, and the saints. And so let me look at verses, or let us look at verses 11 and 12, and then we'll dig into the text. So Paul goes on to say this. And he gave, that is Jesus, he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. As I mentioned, Paul is going to be looking at three things, spiritual gifts, church leadership, and ultimately the saints. Let's begin with spiritual gifts. Paul and the other apostles are pit bulls when it comes to spiritual, uh, spiritual gifts in the sense that they simply don't let anybody off the hook. Every time the subject or topic of spiritual gifts come up, they are holding fast to the truth and reality that every single Christian has at least one spiritual gift and that we are to use that gift. Paul writes about spiritual gifts extensively to the Corinthians and to the Romans. Joining him is the apostle Peter. Peter summarizes it in two verses where he says, hey, you got at least one gift. You either love serving or you love speaking. So which one is your jam? He doesn't say it that way, but you can, I'm just paraphrasing. So to elaborate here, Paul isn't letting them off the hook with spiritual gifts. He said, you got at least one spiritual gift. And he prefaces this truth earlier in the chapter so that it's not a surprise to the church. In verse 7 of the same chapter, Paul says, But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. He says, man, God's grace, and he's not talking uh, salvifically here. He says, God's grace has been poured on you. You got at least one gift. There's something. If you're like, I don't know, I don't think I have any spiritual gifts. Uh, God, through Paul, is encouraging you and saying, you got at least one. Right? God's grace has been poured on you. You got a gift. Don't worry. Additionally, in this chapter or to this letter, Paul isn't simply writing to church leadership. He's writing to the entire church. He's writing to business owners. He's writing to farmers. He's writing to parents, children, uh, married couples, etc. He's writing to everybody. Therefore, you and I must quickly realize or recognize that each of us has a spiritual gift. And with those gifts come responsibilities. 
And the purpose of such gifts, as Paul mentions in verse 12, is to build up the body of Christ. We'll dig into that in a moment, but for now, think about that. The, the, the purpose of your gifting is to build up the body of Christ. In other words, the gifts or your gifts are not for the purpose of your personal satisfaction, but the edification, the building up of the body of Christ. And even though we're going to dig into some specifics, let me just take a little bit of time to, to encourage you to go to 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, because many of you exercise your gifts lovingly, and I just want to say thank you. Some of you are amazing when it comes to administration and organization, and that helps the church so much. You think it's just structure, but in reality, you're building up the church so that it would function organizationally. We were just led by a group of volunteers, that is the worship team, that led us to exalt the name of Jesus and worship him in song. To the band, thank you all so much, because you all are amazing. I, I can't do any of that, none of it, and I, and I don't want to, right? <laughs> Some of you serve in kids' ministry, right? And then oftentimes when it comes to kids' ministry, everybody's like, oh man, that's, that's really tough. It is. Those are some other kinds of unsung heroes in the church. Not because you're doing child care, but because you're discipling the next generation. You're investing in them by coming alongside parents and encouraging them to point their children to Jesus. You support parents by praying for them. You prepare before getting here, and some of you sometimes it's 30 minutes before getting here to teach whatever lesson you're going to be going through. 20% of our church consists of kids. That's a big number to disciple. Some of you serve in production and build on the website. All those guys are in the back, you know they're introverts. And when it comes to that, man, they do an amazing job. I don't have to yell, I have a mic, because Everett EQs it, right? Our website is pretty baller because I didn't build it, right? Other people have these amazing gifts, and so I just wanna thank you for serving and building up the body in these areas and more. Additionally, I want to dispel two myths when it comes to spiritual gifts in the church. The first one is this, some, and this may be you, I don't know, I don't know where you're at, but some believe that gifts are only for leadership and or those who get paid. In other words, those in leadership or who are on staff are the ones that do everything. Listen, that couldn't be farther from the truth, both practically and biblically. We are in every person ministry. The second one is that the work of ministry is a young person's game, and that's not true either. So to my, to my older saints, I'm just going to look down. No, I'm going to look at y'all, right? <laughs> to my older saints, listen, you bless our church with your time, with your wisdom, and with your service. Thank you. One of the ways in which you have blessed me personally, and I pray bless the rest of the church, is through the stories of God's work in your life over the last several decades. The way you look back at all that God's done has been such an encouragement to me personally, especially when I'm in the weeds and in the trenches. And so to hear your stories, it brings life to me. And so just wanna say thank you. Some of you younger saints need to hang out with our older saints. Because in your youth, whatever you want that youth to be, you bring zeal, and they bring you wisdom. So younger saints, grow passionate in theology, but don't neglect to spend time with our older brothers and sisters. Grow in love, grow in zeal. Earlier this week, I met with a pastor. He just wanted to have lunch. I was thinking I was gonna be ambushed because it was very random. His text literally read, lunch today, dot, 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 question mark. I thought I was in trouble. Maybe I said something dumb. I don't know. So we go and have lunch, and I said, so what's going on? How are you? How are you doing? How's the church? And he tells me about the church, and he says, man, I had these three younger interns serve this summer. And he says, man, young interns just bring so much life to the church. And that was just really encouraging. 
because you could tell he needed some, some fresh air in those, those spiritual lungs of his. So when it comes to the spiritual gifts, know that. It's not just for leadership. It's not just for those who are paid. We are an every person ministry. So let's move specifically into verses 11 and 12. Paul addresses church leadership and the church. He's going to address what church leadership does, but he's also, or I'm going to address where I think we might need to grow. And then as we transition into the church as a whole, Paul says that the church is to be equipped by leadership to build up the body of Christ. And we're, today is going to be a little bit repetitive as we continually come back to this, to building up the body, to building up the body. So just keep that in mind. And so Paul says that Jesus gave the church gifts and leadership, and he begins with apostles and prophets. And so what I want to do is I want to park on specific areas, and that is going to be shepherds and teachers. It's not that I'm neglecting these first three. We've actually preached on Ephesians 4 before in a little bit more depth. And so I'm going to be brief about these first three. And if you have questions, Let's chat afterward. Nevertheless, he says that God gave the church apostles and prophets. Here's what you need to know about apostles and prophets. Those two offices have been closed. Those two offices have been closed. They were meant specifically for the biblical period where God God called prophets to speak uh, his word of repentance to his people. And then Jesus commissioned the apostles for the start and the foundation of the church that we see in Acts. The last apostle was John. He was the only one that wasn't martyred. Those offices, the offices are closed. And some of you may even wonder, well, can the functions still exist? Can the gifting of prophecy or apostolic ministry still exist? I think so, but that's another conversation. He addresses that he gave evangelists. All of us are called to evangelize. Each one of us is called to share our faith. But there are those individuals who have this particular and unique gift of evangelism. They are the most fearless and weird people ever. Right? Like you can go to a restaurant or a pub or a party or the park or wherever, and they'll be like, I think that person needs to hear about Jesus. Come on. And then you're just so tense, right? All of, uh, anybody who's a nerd hates that, right? But the evangelists are like, let's go. We, they need to hear it. And you agree, but you don't want to do it, right? Evangelists, we could admit, have this unique gift of, of evangelizing. And then we come to the shepherds and to the teachers. And when it comes to the shepherds, these are pastors, those who keep watch over the flock that God has entrusted to them. Man, let me tell you, shepherds, another word is pastor, but shepherds, man, especially when we're looking at the context of scripture, shepherds are, they're a different breed, yo. Like they're tough, right? They carry a stick and they keep wolves away. Right? They're tough because uh, they beat wolves with the stick to protect the flock. Shepherds, in, in, in the context of, of Scripture, especially Psalm 23, they're tender because they guide the flock. In addition to that, shepherds were known for carrying oil. Sometimes the sheep that they were uh, watching, sometimes debris and dirt and disease would get in their eyes. And so the shepherds would carry oil so as to clean their face so that they could see clearly. Shepherds guide tenderly. So here's where I want to park. Family, we need pastors. We need qualified and called men to step into pastoral ministry to serve this body. I cannot be the only one. And though not all men are called to pastoral ministry, those of you who have considered it previously, I think you should consider it again. And I want to come back to that in a moment. But that's the push. Those of you who have considered it previously should consider it again. I'll tell you why in a moment. Then we have teachers. Teachers serve the church in a variety of capacities. Bible teachers who help you understand scripture better. They help develop leadership skills. They lead and facilitate groups in a variety of capacities. I love our teachers. 
We are regularly equipping teachers and leaders in our church to serve the rest of the body. And so, man, if you're a teacher, I praise God for you. Also, I praise God for you if you're an educator. You know, you start class tomorrow. Some of you have already started, kind of, or you have. You've had students for five weeks already. Man, uh, we are praying for you. You're going to do great. You are our missionaries. Nevertheless, teachers, super thankful for you. And then there are many... There are many in our church who have the gift of teaching, but neglect it. And they neglect it for several reasons. But let me just say, if that's you, like you're a good teacher, and you're neglecting it, you're doing the body harm. You should be here. You should be teachers. Some of you were super involved in ministry at one point, and then you backed out, only to, uh, only to not show up consistently. Some of you only want to be teachers if it's convenient for you. Some of you want to be teachers only if you feel it. Some of you want to be teachers, but you just don't want to do it. That was one response an individual gave me one time. I know what I need to do, I just don't want to do it. And so listen to the author of Hebrews. This is what he says. About this, we have much to say. Give you a little bit of context. For the first four chapters of this book, he's been unpacking the the doctrine of Christ, the person and work of Jesus. And he says, about this doctrine, we have much to say, but it's hard to explain to you because you've become dull of hearing. You've grown apathetic. You've rejected some of this teaching. Not all of a sudden, But gradually, that phrase dull of hearing, it is a gradual drift from the truth. He continues, by this time, some of you ought to be teachers. You need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God, that is the word of God. You need milk, not solid food. Everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness because they're a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by, here it is, constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Some of you ought to be teachers by now. But instead, you're still spiritual children. You're spiritual children. He's like, how do you know you're a spiritual child? You can't discern good from godly. You can't discern what is right and what is righteous. You're all about the spirituality, but not so much about godliness. And the result of it is going back to that little phrase, because you've become dull of hearing. So why do I want to focus on shepherds and teachers? Well, let me just say it this way. Whether it's shepherd, a teacher, whether what some of you are called to pastoral ministry, some of you are just to be Bible teachers, not just to be, to be Bible teachers, whether it's hospitality, administration, generosity, whatever it is, let me give an admonishment to this first group. And then I'll give an encouragement to everyone else. Here's the admonishment. Some of you aren't hesitant to get into the game. You're just resisting God's call, clarity, and burden on you. Most of the time, when it comes to some of these things, individuals that I've met with in our church clearly know that God has placed a call or a burden or a desire or aspiration, or they just want to investigate this call a little bit more, right? So it's not just, I'm not over-spiritualizing it. It's just this burden that's been placed on you, and you consistently resist it. That doesn't mean that by accepting it, you're ready to go and yeah, you're going to be in the game. No, there's training, there's equipping required. We'll talk about that in a little bit later. But some of you just resist this burden and call and clarity that God has bestowed upon you. As a result of your resistance, some of you are negligent in the building up of the saints. As if you, a lone body part, can function without the rest of the body. So some of you avoid God, some of you resist this burden, and you resist it for multiple reasons. For instance, ministry or your calling, if you want to spiritualize it, needs to look a certain way. So it's rooted in your convenience. Hmm. 
Some of it is because your friend or your spouse says, well, ministry should look this way, therefore you shouldn't do it. Okay? Some of you, because you've had poor experience in churches, and for that, I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry. But that doesn't mean we're that church. Some of you are slaves to certainty. You want to know all the details. You want to know what it's going to look like, what the risks are, what the failure is going to look like, and you do nothing. To be clear, there's a distinction between many who are providentially hindered. You just can't, whether it's a season or something's going on. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking about those who are active in avoiding God, making excuses, dull of hearing. If this is you, then check it. There comes a point where your resistance, your hesitation, or your negligence is sinful toward God and harmful to the body. Some of you need to step forward with shaky knees and humble hearts. As your brother, as your friend, as your pastor, first, let me invite you to repent. Because if that's been you, you've been sinning towards God and harmful to the church, then repent. Secondly, I got you. Doesn't mean I have all the answers. But I got you. The apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, the whole purpose of this leadership is to equip the saints. So let's look at the second half of this section, verse 12. So Paul says that we are to equip the saints. The word equip means to prepare, to grow, to teach, to train, to complete. See, for us, the reason we're talking about equipping the saints is because this is a conviction of ours. We have an entire ministry dedicated to simply equipping. Equipping you in theological development, in leadership, leadership skills, practical application, teaching and preaching. We got deacon training that's coming up. And, and what's the reason for it? So that you could just be a better theologian? Is it so that you would be a better reader? Is it for your personal satisfaction? No, we have this ministry so that we would equip you to build up the body of Christ. It's for you, but it's not about you. To equip the saints, and some of you are like, well, the saints, you know, the saints, those whom Christ has called to himself, those who are believers by grace through faith, still too fancy, but uh, saints, those who are Christians, you. You're not just a sinner. You're also a saint. For the work of ministry, every Christian has a ministry. We are saved to do good works. Not saved by good works, but to do good works. Paul says this in chapter 2. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Leadership is to equip the saints to build up the body. Let's look at verse 12. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Why? To build up the body of Christ. Let's look at it one more time. For building up the body of Christ. The greatest thing that we as Christians can do as we surrender to Christ is to use our gifts to build up the body Christ. Why is this the greatest thing? Listen to the words of Paul Tripp. Here's what he says. Your life is much bigger than a good job, an understanding spouse, and non-delinquent kids. <laughs> it is bigger than beautiful gardens, nice vacations, and fashionable clothes. In reality, you are part of something immense, something that began before you were born and will continue after you die. God is rescuing fallen humanity, transporting them into his kingdom, and progressively changing them into his image, and he wants you to be a part of it. He wants you to be a part of this work. He doesn't just save us, he folds us into this great story of redemption. And so now to the second group, 
an encouragement. To those of you who are already shaking because you have no idea what your gifts are, and stepping out is scary, and I want you to know that I understand because stepping out is scary, especially when you're around a bunch of Christians that think or that, that know what they want to do or they're working through it and you're not there yet. It, it can be intimidating. So here's my encouragement to you, okay? I want you to answer this question, not out loud. Write it in your journal. I want you to answer this question. What do you love to do? What do you love to do? My wife and I had dinner with some friends from church last night. And as the conversation's getting going, at one point, one of our friends goes on to say, I have this growing conviction, and I'm paraphrasing. She goes on to say, I have this growing conviction in administration and hospitality. And so the conversation led to like... I have something for you, and I think you're going to be amazing at this, and I think she will be. But there's this consideration that she had. What do you love to do? Second thing I want you to do is I want you to pray. I want you to pray two things. I want you to pray, well, one thing in two parts. One is I want you to ask God to search your heart. That's Psalm 139. To search your heart. What exactly is it that you want me to do? And then... Search my heart to see if there's any selfish motivation. To see if there's any conceit here. Pride or arrogance. The third thing I want you to do, I hope you're writing this down, so question, prayer. Third thing I want you to do is I want you to go and seek counsel. I want you to ask one or two of your closest friends here at church. And I want you to ask the question, do you think I would be good at this? do you think I should do this? It could be a really close friend of yours. It could be your spouse. Do you think I'd be good at this? And just because they say yes doesn't mean you're like ready to go. There's training and equipping so that you would be built up in order to build up others. So whether you're resisting or whether you're reflecting, I want you to know both require spiritual courage. I get it not knocking it. I get it. Both require spiritual courage. But I also want to remind you, you've been given dynamite under this flesh and into this heart. That is the Holy Spirit. So in Acts 1, when God says, hey, I'm going to give you this power, and he's talking specifically about the Holy Spirit, but the word there is dunamis. That means dynamite. You've been given this power. You can do this. Some of you are writing notes. Check it. You can do this. Some of you are looking down. You can do this. Let us help you. Let us help you find where you can build the body up. Let me help you serve our church by leading. Serving or leading or being equipped to serve is certainly for the purpose of health. But it is also a reflection of God's generosity. God gives us good gifts. God gave us the gift of Christ and of salvation. Christ gives us great gifts, not to hoard, but to give. He gives us gifts so that we can give more. It's not because we have to, but because we get to. This is embedded into the hearts of those who understand the gospel. See, Christ came not to be served, but to serve. Therefore, as a result of Christ's work for us, dying on a cross in our place for our sin, buried, resurrecting on the third day, giving us the grace of salvation that we cannot earn, leaving our death and sin in the grave, because of Christ's work for us, we don't come to church to be served. We come to serve. A healthy church equips the saints to build the body of Christ up. Now we move to the second half of this, or maybe not the second half, but the second portion of this text. This is verses 13 to 16. Another word for building up is to edify, and that is the result of equipping, as Paul mentions at the, at the end of verse 12. Once more, he goes on to write, <clears throat> to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. 
Here, in verses 13 to 16, he's going to expand on what it looks like practically. See, when the church is equipped, the church is edified. I want you to notice, as we walk through verses 13 and 16, I want you to notice the emphasis Paul has on edification or or maturity. In this passage, he uses various words and phrases such as build up, mature manhood, no longer children, to grow up in every way, equipped, working properly. The church, uh, uh, us contributing, makes the body grow. We are built up in love. He's constantly emphasizing that the health of a, or that the mark of a healthy church is that it is a church that is equipped to edify, to mature one another. And so he's constantly using this phrase, these phrases. And so what does edification look like? Well, the first thing is in verse 13, it's unity. Looking at verse 13, he goes on to say, until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. We are built up as we attain unity, not uniformity, diverse gifts, diverse responsibilities, but unity. This is a work of progress. We're not always there. We're not there yet, but we're striving for unity in two categories. Paul says that we strive for unity in faith and in the knowledge of Jesus. That when it comes to our faith, this, isn't, this is, uh, refers to knowledge as far as all that God has done for us through Christ. In fact, earlier in the chapter, he's pressing for the church to have one confession And so this is all that God has done for us, that he has sent his son into time, space, and history to save sinners, that we are to hold fast to this confession. And when he goes on to expand on the knowledge of Jesus Christ, it's not so much information here, even though it sounds backwards. It's not so much information, it's application in our daily lives. It's that spiritual experience, if you will, as we grow more to be like Jesus. As we grow in our faith, our understanding of Jesus trickles down into our hearts and flows out into our hands through obedience, discipleship, and service. When it comes to unity, Paul has already referenced this earlier in the chapter by saying, hey, unity was something that God did. The role of the church is to maintain it. Verse 3, he goes on to say, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. This means that we are not passive in the pursuit of unity, but we are active participants and we are eager to maintain unity. So the first way in which we mature is unity. Second way is through Christ-likeness. He goes on to say, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. If you read anything in the New Testament, especially anything written by the Apostle Paul, he loves lists. He's just continually piling up more and more and more because he's enamored with Jesus and he wants us to understand so much of what he's writing. Nevertheless, The second way in which we grow is, say, in this way, we spiritually grow up. That's what he means by the measure of fullness. We grow to be more like Christ as we mature. That our faith in Jesus would be fruitful in our walk with Jesus. That's also what he means by mature manhood. You could just summarize it to overall maturity, that our roots are deep in the wonder, word, and work of God. And our fruit is a blessing to one another and those around us. To the Galatians, Paul says it this way. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And he has a little clause. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That little phrase, the flesh, means that's our sinful desires. That's that thing in us that still desires to rebel and reject God. He's saying that has been crucified as we walk in fruit. And the intention of this kind of growth is so that we wouldn't be gullible, so that we wouldn't be susceptible to false teaching from within and outside of the church, he goes on to say. 
of this, uh, to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every kind of, every wind of doctrine and human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Thanks, Riley. <laughs> Paul writes that we are to grow up spiritually so that we wouldn't be gullible like kids. One author says it this way. We are to imitate children in their humility and in their innocence, but not their ignorance or instability. It's not an insult. Ignorance means just uninformed. Immaturity is evidenced in instability, rootlessness, lack of direction, doctrinal indecision, and susceptibility to manipulation and error. At the heart of childish immaturity is the lack of theological discernment. Immature Christians fall prey to false teachers because they're not rooted in the word. Their walk is inconsistent with what they believe. And so when he says that they're tossed to and fro, that little phrase is actually like the roll of a dice. That you're just tossed like dice. You don't know where you're going to land. And oftentimes when we see in Scripture uh, this, this illustration of the ocean, the ocean represents chaos, instability, uncertainty. And so some immature Christians, right, can't land anywhere because they can't discern. Going back to that Hebrews 5 passage, they lack discernment. They lack skill in the word. They can't tell the difference between what is right and what is righteous, spiritual and godly, good and godly. And so they're being thrown by, by the winds of false teachers. They are captivate, captivated by the craftiness of false teachers. False teachers are intensely practical and highly unbiblical. Immature Christians fall deceit to their schemes. In other words, these are plans that are difficult to detect without discernment. It sounds good. I think, that, yeah, okay, I'm, I'm going to try this. But there isn't any kind of discernment that goes with testing if it is true according to God's word. So Paul says, hey, we're going to mature. We're going to equip the saints uh, for the work of ministry to build up the body Right, and, and so the, the, the word here is be so that we would mature. Well, how do we mature? We mature as we pursue unity. We mature as we grow in Christ-likeness. Number three, we mature uh, through a steady diet of God's truth. This is number three. This is found in verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up, there it is, in every way into him, into Jesus, who is the head into Christ. We are to grow up in the truth of God. That little word, or the word for truth here, there's no real translation of it. And so, so it sounds like this, truthing, right? Paul is saying like, we are to be truthing to one another, constantly giving one another truth that is rooted in the word of God, meaning that we're constantly growing in God's word. We read good theological books. We have conversations about God, and we lovingly challenge one another through the Word of God. We are to grow in truth, but make no bones about it, right? Truth is wedded to love. It is not divorced from love. It is wedded to love. See, there are some Christians, you might be these, man, I'm just all about the truth. I just tell it like it is, and that's why no one likes you. Okay, And then there are some Christians, that might be you, so like, man, I'm just all about love. I just want everybody to love one another. That's why you can't land anywhere. And that's why you don't land in anywhere. So the phrase here, speak the truth in love, Paul is saying, truthing one another in love. They are wedded to one another. They are not separate. They are distinct, but they are not separate from one another. And so how do we mature? Through a steady diet of God's truth and love. And he repeats this over and over again. We're going to dig into verse 16 a little bit, but listen to verse 16. He says, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. 
You take the truth from love, or excuse me, you take the truth from love, and it's bitter religion. You take the truth from our sanctification, growing to be more like Jesus. You take the, excuse me, you take love from sanctification, that is, us growing to be more like Jesus. You take love from sanctification, and it results in self-righteousness. You take love from unity, and you have tyranny. But when you combine truth and love, you have the marks of a healthy church, a church that is equipped to edify. And the end result is found in verse 16. The result of maturity is that the body grows healthy. It is built up in love, equipped to edify. The body is healthy as we depend on Jesus. When we are held together, see, he says it in the second half, right? From whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When we are held together by Christ, equipped with and flourishing in our gifting, when we are working properly, the result of our health is love. And to be totally fair, all of this takes time. A church doesn't mature overnight. All of this takes time. God is at work in us, nevertheless. Growth is a process. And sometimes we need specific, targeted growth. Because what that does is enable the rest of the body to contribute and grow healthily, to mature. I don't know if any of you lift weights. If you don't, ignore this. Well, don't ignore it. Um, so many strength coaches will say that uh, there's this theory of prioritization. And what the theory of prioritization says is to work out the hardest or weakest muscle in your body, work it out at the beginning of the week. And for many people, it, it's, it's legs, because nobody likes to squat. And the whole point of working out the leg is like, where are you going with this? Just trust me. All right, so <laughs> the whole point of working out the legs is because they are a big muscle group, right? If you do any kind of walking or running or just holding up your body, the legs are capable of enduring uh, a lot of stress. And so when you work out the legs, you really need to beat them in order for them to grow. Blah, 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 right? The idea of working out something like legs at the beginning of the week is to cause growth in the rest of the body. It pushes the other body to have some kind of stimuli to respond to stress. Sometimes a church needs specific targeted growth like shepherds and teachers. And it helps cause the rest of the body to have some kind of stimulus to begin to grow. The whole purpose isn't just so that we can be cool. The whole purpose is because brothers and sisters are in need of you for the purpose of edifying the body of Christ. It's not random. A healthy church is equipped to edify in truth and love. Like a healthy body that is to be equipped through nourishment, sunlight, water, and exercise, the church is to be equipped with the truth and love of God's word to grow in maturity. Deep roots in truth create great fruit in love. So, Christian, what are you doing with what God has given you? Your contribution, your gifting, your serving, your contribution builds the health of the church. For some of you, it's time to take off the bib and get a towel to serve. So let me invite you to step out with shaky knees, humble hearts, and a courageous spirit. Listen to me. I know you're taking notes. Your brothers and sisters need you. And I'm talking specifically about our church, not the universal church. I'll say it one more time. Let me invite you to step out with shaky knees, humble hearts, and a courageous spirit. Your brothers and sisters need you. Let me invite you 
those of you who are nervous and a little bit uncertain in where to serve and what that looks like, I want you to know that when it comes to that, we want to edify you so that you would edify others. Both of these individuals require a trust in the Lord because he is good, he is gracious, he is faithful, he is loving. We will do our best. We're going to learn. You will mature. We will mature. We got you. So let me invite you to repent wherever that conviction is hitting you. That ain't from me. Let me invite you to repent wherever that conviction is hitting you. Let me remind you to look to the truth of Christ and ponte las pilas so that we would mature one another so that the body would be built up. And if you're not a Christian, man, let me back up. And if you're like, I don't know where to serve, I dare you to come talk to me after service. I don't say that like threateningly. I say that like, I got a list, all right, in case you're wondering. <laughs> and if you're not a Christian, thank you so much for being here. You're our guest. You are our guest, and we wish to serve you, and we wish to be a demonstration of God's grace and love to you, and when we drop the ball, not if, but when we drop the ball, I just want you to know we are a work in progress, but our deepest desire is for you to know Jesus, that God has made a way for you to come and know him through his son, Jesus, who entered into time, space, and history, lived the life that you can't live, and died the death that you deserve offering you the grace of salvation that you cannot earn and is ready to pardon any sinner who turns to him in faith and repentance. Church, a healthy church is equipped to edify through truth and love. Let's pray. God, you are good and generous. You give us, the needy saints, such amazing gifts. For example, you gave us Jesus, who came to serve and not be served. You gave us Jesus, who is not simply our example, but our substitute. Lord, the gifts that you have given us are not burdens, but they are blessings to edify the body. Would you forgive us where we have treated our gifts as burdens?